Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Every Other Thursday podcast. This is episode number 31 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being recorded the week of January 21st. It's January, guys. How are you all doing? Very good. Happy New Year. There you go. I love that. Yep. New year, new president, all kinds of cool stuff going on. And we got a cool guest. Speaking of cool guests, we always talk about hot topics and cool guests. Well, we got a cool guest who's coming from where it's, where it's a cold part of the country right now, Russ Finch from Nebraska, of all places. But first of all, how are you guys doing? You had good holidays? Very good. Very right. good. good. Everything okay? Nobody arrested? No family members uh, causing problems or anything? It's hard to get into trouble during COVID. Lockdown. Yeah, yeah, lockdown. Well, some people still find their way. So I'm really excited about Russ Finch coming on and joining us today because it's a little bit like Philip Preston. These guys talk about stuff. It's above my pay grade, but I always learn a lot. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. Russ is not a young guy. I'll, I'll say it like that. But he's one of the more fascinating guys. And I think he's very inspirational in, in many ways to, to all of us to keep on working when, uh, when you've retired multiple times. So, but first of all, I want to get into some, uh, before we get to that, I know, Greg, uh, you've got a couple of comments on Russ, but I want to get the business hand uh, out of the way here for us. And as everybody knows by now, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday, it's brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal, of course, is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. So now with all, with all that stuff out of the way, Greg, tell us a little bit about Russ Finch and how you came to meet him and how, how all this came about. Sure. I, was, I discovered him about two years ago. I actually got on a plane, flew to Denver, and then drove, I guess, four or five hours to the Nebraska Panhandle to Alliance to meet him and see what he's all about. Real short, he's created a concept where... He takes a, uh, a narrow, long greenhouse uh, that he's designed and sells as a kit. And it can be up to 102 feet or even longer. And it's just basically he puts a bunch of tubes underground in one end, buries them for in a 200-foot loop, and brings them in the other end. And then he just hooks up a solar-powered fan for less than a dollar a day to circulate the air in this big circle. We'll learn more from the, during the episode, but basically the ground, if you bury these tubes eight feet deep, the ground is about 52, 54 degrees constantly, winter or summer. And so this, this air is warmed during the winter and efficiently heats this, this greenhouse. And in summer, it's cooled by the same system. So. It sounds like it's way outside our wheelhouse here at every other Thursday, but but really not. When you think about it, it's all about producing sustainable food locally, lots of different exotic products. These are all things that the restaurant industry is re- is really looking for. And this guy has has delivered this concept 
that's just un, it's just unbelievable, as as you will hear. When you first started talking to me about uh, about Ross and what he was doing, by the way, his website, love it, greenhouseinthesnow.com. Does it get better than that? No. But I started thinking about what, what this is all about, and it's really about fun. It's about fresh. It's about frugal because it's, it's a money-saving thing, and uh, it's all local, and it's sustainable and all that. Oh, it's got so many good points to it. I can't wait. So I'm excited, to say the least. Well, I, I visited him at the end of October, early November, and uh, they had had a snowstorm the day before. And yep. we were in his greenhouse, again, that he's heating for under a dollar a day. We were eating citrus off the tree. Okay, well, with all that, let's get the rock star Russ Finch in here. Rock star Russ Finch, come on in, and let's give him a big every other Thursday welcome. Russ, it's really great having you join us on every other Thursday. And before we get started, can you give us uh, and our listeners a quick snapshot on your background and tell a little bit of, uh, about who you are and how the heck you ended up in Nebraska doing what you're doing? Well, I've lived all my life in Nebraska, all of it in an alliance, very small town. We've always had a greenhouse of some type, but the new one is about 30 years old. It was a hobby for 18 years before it went into commercial like it is now. But as far as my background... You were not a greenhouse guy before you got into this current no, thing that you're doing. Uh, yeah, we didn't have a commercial greenhouse. We had hobby okay. greenhouses all the time. Ah. But as far as my background goes, we've always had, it seems like, three things going at one time. We <laughs> I farmed for 45 years, a city mail carrier for uh, 27 years, wow. and we, we manufactured riding cabs for pickups for 31 years. Other than that, you're just laying around. You're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. So you got to get a little I, more ambitious, Russ. You, you yeah. got to figure out what you want to do when you grow up, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I retired from the post office, we we had already built a house uh, using this geothermal system through a um, heat pump. The outdoor unit of the heat pump, we put in a eight by eight room in the back of this A-frame house. And then we just flow air through tubes underground out in the yard and through this room just to fool the heat pump into thinking it's in a warmer climate. <laughs> wow. But uh, that worked so well that we decided that we could do the same thing for a geothermal greenhouse, but with uh, not using the heat pump. So, but we just use air flowing through tubes eight foot deep in the ground. Just more or less, at first, it was just for emergency backup because we, we had no heat system in the greenhouse itself. The greenhouse is 17 foot wide, uh, 70 foot long. It worked so well that we. We grow a lot of citrus, a lot of lemons, figs, roses, kiwi, pomegranate, everything in this one. And you're doing it all in Nebraska, right? Yeah. In the dead of winter. This is probably the most harsh climate that we could have found. We get 
not as cold as some places, but every winter we'll see nights that'll be maybe 27 below zero. But wow. then the wow. next day in this climate, it might be 30 degrees the next day. So it's just, just really changeable. Like yep. uh, yeah, a week ago, we had 78 mile an hour winds. In some places, a lot higher than that. It, it's just a real harsh uh, climate. How do the greenhouses hold up under that kind of wind, Russ? The design is only seven and a half foot above grade. Oh, and it has okay. a, a 60% sloping north wall. So it, it sheds air. Wow. And um, engineering study is for 115 mile an hour winds. 15 pounds of snow load. Wow, that's fantastic. And two, it's nice to have a shelter belt or uh, trees that shelters it some too. Nice to work in because even in heavy winds and everything, you don't notice it. What are the walls made of, Russ, and the roof and stuff? Is it glass or is it poly? Or? The only part that we sell is the entire metal frame. Oh. It's two two-inch metal tube, square tube frame, everything to put it in the ground, and then the Lexan polycarbonate glazing that goes on the south is all that we furnish on it. Everything else you can buy locally. Wow, in this area, great. we have a Menards that is probably the better place to buy it. Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. And that minus 27 degrees, Russ, that's why you call it greenhouse in the snow, I guess, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a great name. We don't get an awful lot of snow, but, and when we do get snow, it's usually with wind. So well, once in a while, we'll get a nice gentle snow that'll build up a foot deep on the top of the greenhouse, but not, not too much snow. Russ, I've been following you now for a couple of years. I've been out and visited your, your site, and, and I've been seeing some other uh, greenhouses. And, you know, this is almost sounds too good to be true. So i got to ask the question, why aren't there more of these all over the place? Well, we're, we're getting a lot of them. The first year after we, we decided to go commercial with it, we sold three. The next year, eight. The next year, 53. Last year, we sold 114. Wow. And this year, we'll be double that. It seems like every one we sell, sells another one. Yep, yep. That's fantastic. We have them all over the country. I think around 38 states now. And really? we have in Canada, we've got a lot of them now. And we have a, a dealer in Canada. We've got a licensed fabricator and dealer in Brittany, France, that's covering all of Europe. Wow. And the, those two have started in the last year and a half, and they're they're starting to produce right now. I think you know from uh, previous conversations with Greg and, and maybe even with myself uh, that we really focus on a lot of the restaurant and hotel and, and the culinary trade. Yeah. And there's a real big surge in that, on that in those sectors on buying local, eating healthier, eating more sustainable stuff. Do you think that that's helping your cause along uh, oh, in, in, yeah. in the greenhouse? We're getting for our growers, 
that are growing. 90% of, of the greenhouses we sell are for commercial of some type, like really? farmer's market or locally grown or big, uh, big families. It seems like the good outlets are for restaurants and locally grown and farmer's market. Um, grocery stores will will buy from you, but you have to discount to them. But on a restaurant and and that they'll they'll pay the full price if it's yeah. really top quality. So yeah. and two uh, ethnic foods are really big. Really? Now, any particular ethnicity or all ethnic foods well, in general? In Scottsbluff, we had a fellow that wanted to start a Mediterranean restaurant. And he finally gave up because he couldn't get the the vegetables that they use delivered in good shape. They're, they were already deteriorating before he could get them. So that, that type of thing. A lot of Vietnamese and Hmong vegetables that we don't even know about in this country. It's amazing the different varieties of, of things that they're growing. Anymore, you can buy a, a um, dwarf tree of any variety. You even, uh, we had one fellow wanted to, to grow uh, coconut palms. And I said, if, if you can find a dwarf, you can do it. So we had a lady from India that came through on a tour, and she pulled up on her cell phone dwarf coconut palms, six foot and eight and ten foot tall. So there's just no limit to what you can grow. I heard that one of your customers is growing figs in Montana for the restaurant industry. Yeah, and, and bananas. And bananas. <laughs> yeah. Bananas in Montana? Yeah. And hey, it's, uh, it's, is, is there is there a marketing opportunity there, Jay, Montana banana? Well, I'm, you know, I'm just listening to Russ speak, and it's your friend in Maine that has that big piece of property that I sent the glassware to. She grows a lot of her own stuff. I mean, I think that there's a market for that product for a lot of owners of restaurants that have – uh, you know, bed and breakfast, a property that, that, that want to do the farm, the table to grow the stuff. I mean, I, I'm thinking here, you got to display this thing at the NRA show. <laughs> you got a whole bunch of customers out there probably just waiting to see it. I mean, it's, I'll tell you, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where, where I live near, you know, the Amish grow stuff all the time. And some of them probably have greenhouses, but I, I don't know how the uh, dead of winter affects them. But all of the big buffet, uh, restaurants that have busloads come in and they all eat at the Amish country and all of that. I would imagine that there'd be a lot of interest in, in that product that you're talking about. I, I My mind's just flying. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, one important thing, though, is that uh, I wanted to ask Russ is that, you know, everybody's going to say, well, how can this work in Nebraska? Like, how much does it cost to heat, to heat your, green, your greenhouse? Great, yeah, great question. Uh, in, in our original greenhouse, we we don't have backup heat. It's just the underground blowers come on at 50 degrees and stay on until it gets above 50 degrees. In 29 years now, we've set up a backup propane blower, shop blower, six times, and it's come on three times. We set it at 30 degrees. For what we're growing, we have to keep the temperature above 28 degrees. 
most all of the new ones have some type of backup, vented backup eater in them, especially if they want to grow like tomatoes in the winter. They have to keep the temperature above 60 degrees, and depending on where they're at, they may have to use some grow lights on the north side of the tomato plant. So the cost, So what you're saying, Russ, and, and what I'm hearing you say is the cost can vary depending upon what you're trying to grow in there. Yeah, it, depending on what you're selling. In this original greenhouse, which is 78 foot long, 17 foot wide, our average cost is 87 cents a day for heating and cooling in the summer. Unbelievable. But, uh, Russ, I think I want to move in, move my whole family into your greenhouse at 87 <laughs> cents a day. Some of the new ones are running around $1.27 a day, somewhere in there, depending on the size of the greenhouse and the how, how much grow light and fans and things like that that they're growing. We think about the snow and the cold, but you, you've you taken care of the heat in the summer, too, because it must get warm in Nebraska yeah. in the summer. Yeah. Uh, originally, we put the tubes underground for to keep it an emergency heat. But originally, we used solid tubing underground. But then growers started using the... Um, underground system for some of the cooling it won't do it all but some of the cooling in the summer they use it for and um, because of that we had to put in perforated tube everywhere because when you run warm air through the the cool tubing in the ground in the summer it condenses a lot of water so we use perforated tubing to let the moisture out that's amazing, boy, I'll tell you. You mentioned the size, Russ, of uh, 17 by 78. Is that typical, or do you do smaller ones? Do you do bigger ones? That's smaller than, than the average. Most okay. of them are 17 foot wide, and we have them up to 150 foot long. And, and we have one that long, 138 foot. We've got two of them, but those are two they're too long. They're getting by, but they're harder to handle cooling, especially in the summer. What we figure, 102 is about the the maximum for top efficiency. So do you have any idea with a 102-foot greenhouse, like if I had a restaurant, how much produce I could produce in, in something like that? <laughs> in this system... We get very little data on growers. We, they'll tell us what they're growing and, and they're doing really well, but very little data on income. It's all cash business. The unit in Scottsbluff, Nebraska is owned by the state. It's the Natural Resources District. And in that one, because it's owned by the state, they can't sell anything out of it they have to donate all their produce and everything to the um, vets homes and nursing homes but because of that they weigh everything that leaves the greenhouse and we get really good data on that the the first year that they set it up she took off in 
less than half of the south growing bed that was 96 foot long. She took off 840 pounds of cherry tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers. The next year, they took off 1,175 pounds off of that four-foot-wide, 96-foot-long bed. The rest of their greenhouse, they have bananas, mango, pineapple, figs, and everything to show people that they can grow that, that type of plants in this area. That's in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Yeah, that's 54 miles from us. So it's the same temperature. Russ, I want to go back to the, the dimensions just for a second. Is there anything magical about the 17-foot width? Because that seems to be constant. The length is what's growing. Yeah, and, and a lot of people want to go wider. But w with our ventilation system and heating system, we have to keep it airtight. So we flow air from underground from one end to the other and just recirculate it underground in the winter. In the summer, we open it up and, and flow air from one end all the way through the other way. And because of that, that tunnel effect, we can't go any wider than 17 foot. If we do, we have a dead air space on the outsides of, or the far sides of that airflow. They don't work like a conventional greenhouse. Conventional greenhouse has tremendous amount of volume of air inside. So they have to have a lot of circulation, air circulation, and maybe change the air every eight minutes. In the winter, we don't, we don't change air at all. Well, this is really fascinating. Uh, we're going to take a break right now, Russ. And uh, when we come back, we're with Russ Finch, by the way. Uh, Russ uh, is telling us about his concept called Greenhouse in the Snow. And Russ is uh, live from Alliance. Am I saying that correct, Russ? Alliance. Alliance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was using the French. I was using the French pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> Alliance, Nebraska. Bonjour, Monsieur Rossi. Bonjour, Monsieur Ross from Alliance. We're going to be right back with Russ Finch from Alliance, Nebraska, and uh, we'll talk some more. Russ, when we come back, I want to get into some of the the restaurant more components and, and back to uh, Greg's original question: Why the heck wouldn't everybody be doing this? And then I also want to touch on the cost and some of the obstacles yeah. uh, that mm. you that you might have encountered. So we'll be right back with more with Russ Fitch. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with Russ Finch from Greenhouse in the Snow in Alliance, Nebraska. And by the way, uh, the first segment, if you missed that, I learned how to say the word Alliance, not Alliance. Okay. And while we were in the break, by the way, there was a great discussion going on. Greg, you were asking Russ about some of the, uh, the tubing and all that. Why don't you go ahead and ask that so uh, our listeners can hear it as well. Right. I was just trying to get at uh, to make sure that the listeners all understand exactly what this concept is about. I'll just set it up here for for uh, for Russ. It's basically a long greenhouse 
long, narrow greenhouse with, and then what happens is you bury tubes for 200 feet in a big circle, one, one end. So the air blows out of one end of the greenhouse, goes underground, gets heated by the earth, and then comes at six the, feet. It's eight feet, eight feet deep. No, and Russ, that, I think you said six feet, didn't you? No, eight, eight foot on the tubes. On the oh, tubes. Eight foot on the tubes. Yeah. Okay, and, then, and then the air blows in the other side. And this can be done with a solar powered fan, if I'm not, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, Russ, can you tell us uh, a little bit more about this? Like, the, like how many tubes you need, what kind of tubes they are, that kind of thing? The tube we, we use now is four inch perforated tube. What it's called is sealed drainage tile. You can get it from plumbers, you, Home Depot, the Lowe's, anywhere, lumberyard. Yeah, we use one tube for every six foot length of greenhouse. So on um, the 78 foot original greenhouse, we'd have 13 tubes in your route. And they're eight foot deep. We go from one end of the growing uh, room on the north side outside a lot of people are talking about putting them underneath the greenhouse but you'd never put a cold flowing tube under the floor of your greenhouse so we go outdoors anywhere 200 foot you can go any place you want to go outside as long as you come back in the opposite north side of the growing room then we put a a blower on one end of the tubes and when the blower comes on it just recirculates that air in the in the winter from one end of the greenhouse just keeps it recirculating do you do you have to have a, a, a airlock room on both sides on the end we use a six foot entry room that can be grown you can grow in it too but it's an entry room for our air handling because we need a a wall to to be able to put the blowers on that recirculate or that circulate the summertime air and then we we have another system that takes a short tubes system into that growing room that in the winter time some areas like in here we can get awful hot in this wintertime even. If it's 10 degrees out and you have full sun, you're going to see 80 degrees or above most most days when the sun's shining on the greenhouse. Other than that, the system is really simple. Do you have to lay the pipe on crushed rock or do you put any base no. in the trench? No, just, no. just most areas we just drop the tube in from above nobody ever gets in the in the trench and we don't try to make them look pretty or anything because they're going to be eight foot underground but they're yeah i was going to say they're covered yeah sure do you wrap them with it with any kind of like landscaping you you know? don't wrap them because that would insulate them from picking up the heat Okay. Uh, on the wall. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, maybe we, maybe you touched on this, Russ, earlier. But what is the the the, the average temperature eight feet underground? It's fifty two degrees in this area. Some areas it's warmer. Some areas it's a little cooler. But 
most every place in the lower 48. Yeah. So as we go into areas like northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, and North Dakota, we have to go maybe a foot or two deeper. Really? Wow. That's and then maybe the temperature won't be quite as uh, as high. But we adjust our insulation around the perimeter of the greenhouse for the, the uh, temperature in that climate zone. Russ, you're, you're, you're making me embarrassed here. I should have studied harder in biology in high school. <laughs> I think it's biology. I'm not even sure it's biology. Maybe physics. it's chemistry. Physics, physics probably. Physics probably. Oh, def- you, yeah, I definitely didn't find my way to a physics class in high school. I can tell you that. You just got through Alliance. Yeah, I just got through Alliance. That's right. Hey, Russ, I got a quick question. It's a crazy question. What's the toughest thing you've ever grown in these great greenhouses that you're really doing? What's the toughest thing? Well, a lot of cit- We have 13 varieties of citrus in the older, the oldest greenhouse. All of them do really well. All of them are on dwarfing stock that keeps them small enough to grow in the greenhouse. Most all citrus did really well. Lemons especially for the marketing. Lemons will outsell oranges 10 to 1. Myers lemon is sought after by a, a lot of gourmet cooks, and they do really well. They're genetic dwarfs, so with the grafted trees, you can start cuttings on all of the citrus, and they start really well. But eventually, you have to graft them onto to dwarfing root. But Myers lemon is a genetic dwarf, so you can take kinetic or cuttings off of the uh, Myers and probably... We, we have about 75% success on, on rooting them. And then you've just, you have a cloned tree. Wow. And you, and you, and you grow citrus, vegetables, you grow them 12 months a year. You don't have a growing season, right? Yeah. No, we, we don't have a, oh, well, that's beautiful. We, in, in the original greenhouse, we have more or less of a, a growing season. It cools down in the winter. In, in the newer designs that are really uh, a lot more efficient, they don't have to add very much heat to uh, grow bananas, uh, mango, or anything. In the original one, we can grow everything up to the bananas and that. Everything does well. Drilling, drilling down into the uh, specifics, what about pollination? Don't you need, like, bees in there? Pollination is a is a problem with a lot of people. They think everything is pollinated by bees. Very few plants are pollinated, really. Most of them are self-pollinating. All the citrus is self-pollinating. Figs and everything. The only thing that we have in the greenhouse that needs a pollinator is the pomegranate. Wow. And and it uh, ideally it'll be pollinated by a long beak like a hummingbird or hummingbird moth, something like that. The citrus puts out so many blossoms that the blossoms falling over each other spread the pollen. And if they're growing tomatoes, they shake the plant to set to uh, spread the pollen. So 
We're doing an experiments with bees now. We have a flow hive that was really successful last year, but it was outdoors for the winter. We've moved it in, indoors and put the, the opening for the bees to work outdoors. You can't put the bees indoors. They'll come out and, and they'll work, but they can't find their way back to the hive because the diffusion of the sun on the Lexan. So they have to, to go outdoors first and then come in. Then they can find their way back to the hive. Russ, I'm curious because you, you, you said something in the first segment. You said that ethnic foods are really big. Yeah. And I'm curious, why do you suppose that is? Well, they're hard to find. <laughs> oh, okay. Scarcity. Grocery stores don't carry a lot of ethnic vegetables. There's a, a, an awful lot of fruit and vegetables that we've never heard of in this country. Yep. So there's a real market if you have a high popu ethnic population in that area. Interesting. Interesting. I can see. It seems to me that with air, uh, the logistics of air travel, maybe, and, and this is all, you know, not uh, COVID aside, pre-COVID and post-COVID, but it seemed to me that vegetables and flowers and things like that are flown all the way. They cut a flower on on, on uh, Monday morning in Columbia, and it's oh, in, a, yeah. in a Miami that evening, and it's in your on your doorstep in a in a box in a bouquet the next right. you know twenty mm -hmm. hours later. So I, I'm fascinated to hear that ethnic foods are big. Yeah, and two, it's probably because there's so many different ethnic groups. They have, yeah. every one of them has a different vegetable or a different fruit that they're used to. It can really be a lucrative outlet. You have a chance to compress the supply chain I mean, because you grow yeah. them right here. You don't have to fly them in. And, and, right. and flying yeah. adds so, money to it. And it, it makes them cheaper. They command a good price anyway. But yep. it would probably be cheaper than flying them in. At least, at least before COVID, there was a big movement that was growing among restaurants to uh, have a garden or have a rooftop garden or a side garden or, or a farm nearby. And this could solve a lot of people's problems because this could, you know, they could produce. But it's also something that shows the patron. It could be, you know, you could, have, you could walk through this thing. Yeah. You could show patrons, guests, what it's all about, incorporate yep. it into your concept. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that I, I think this is unbelievable. I think it's a it's the craziest idea I've heard in a while. But uh, but oftentimes, crazy ideas really bring about uh, that creative, and people really are drawn to them. And 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 you've really hit on something, Russell. God bless you, man. For prices, USDA a couple of years ago, I looked it up. The farmers in Florida got 46 cents a pound for oranges in the box under the tree. And we get $3.50 a pound at farmer's market without the transportation or anything. Yep. Wow. Wow. Talk about price for a minute, Russ. I'm, I'm guessing that all these are pretty much custom constructions, the ones that you sell. But this, can you give can you give our listeners a range of what I would pay for? You said the 102 foot long was the maximum efficiency one. 17 by uh, what am I what am I all in costs on something like that? Not necessarily what you sell your parts for, but there's some other parts to it, the tubing and all that. 
Yeah. What we figure is in this area, if you have access to a backhoe and nice to have a skid loader and have two people that can do the labor, you should be able to, to put a 96-foot one up, ready to plant, automated for around 38000 And how long to put it up? It probably two two people should be able to take, put one up in two weeks. Most of our growers are farmers and ranchers, and they're natural builders. We'll sell the unit to a farmer, and a lot of times we never hear from them again. Their everyday jobs is building different things all the time. When it comes to somebody that needs one done by a contractor, then we get a call about oh, a week, once a week from them. A lot of it's liability that they don't want to make a mistake in it because they're working for somebody else. But contractors are set in their ways, and, and most all of them are home builders. And this is a different type of construction than, than they're used to. So uh, we have to really tell them to stick to the plan and the design and not put their own ideas into it. Well, uh, I, I, again, I think this is just fabulous. And I, I don't know, you guys have any other questions for us? This is, I, I'm going to, I'm going to direct people to your website in a minute, Ross, but this has been fabulous. It's way above my pay grade, all this physics and engineering and everything. Thank God there's people like you, Russ, that, that can explain it better than I can. Russ, if any pitfalls, if I said I want, I have the land and I'm ready to get moving on this, What's my biggest? What's my biggest obstacle? Right. Yeah. One one problem we have. The biggest problem is water level, not surface water, but table water table. If it's hmm. above twelve foot, we tell them to find a different place because they're going to be fighting water all the time, and citrus especially doesn't like wet roots. So, uh, other than that. Uh, another problem would be in the northeast corner of the country would be um, shale, big rocks, things like that. Wow. I could never put one of Russ's on my property by the beach. You go down a foot and a half, you got water. <laughs> That's <laughs> <just> amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then, so then, one more thing. So, like, if I wanted these exotic plants, bananas and. Meyer lemons and all these things. Where do you get the stock from? There's a lot of nurseries. We get everything in citrus and dwarfs from Four Winds Nursery in Central California. And that's mainly because around the citrus belt around the world, they have the greening disease. It's killing the, the citrus everywhere. But they've found the... Uh, bug that carries it, facilia that carries it in Southern California. But that bug can't tolerate any cold weather. So Four Winds Nursery is about as far north in California that you can go and still has big nurseries. They, and, and they can help a lot with, with growing. As far as exotic plants like bananas and everything like that, we logies in in Connecticut is one of our main ones. There's there's a lot of 
Different. I'm guessing if I'm going down this road to work with you, Russ, I'm probably already going to have researched it, or you can steer me in the right direction where I get stock and yeah. all that. We, we can tell people, people what we're growing or what some of the growers are growing and things like that. We're getting a lot of feedback from growers, new ideas, and and things like that. Russ, do you, do you, have, you, have you thought of, or maybe you're already doing it, have you ever thought of doing a video from start to finish that you can send along to the customer that buys all the framing and stuff so that they, they actually see it being built? We have a, there, we have a lot of the sites on um, YouTube that oh. people have put up. The one site that is really getting the attention is the Greenhouse in the Snow site that did that. Anyway, it, it has well over 2 million hits now. There was one, Rob, one of your videos, Russ. I went on there, look, I said, I'll take a look at this. Greg had mentioned, hey, check this video. And it was like an hour-long video. And I said, you know, I'll just skip through a few minutes of this. I got I got, I got, got enthralled with the whole thing, and I never left. I was set for the whole stupid video for an hour watching you dig holes and doing stuff. It was great. We, we had to do a um, virtual tour because of the virus. Yeah, you said you did you did in tour in person tours. So during the break, you were talking about you, pre-COVID, you did uh, in person tours. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and now after the first of the year, we've started tours again. We're, okay. we're getting uh, usually one a day at least. So in Alliance, Nebraska. Yeah, all and we have it, it's strange. We have people fly in from all over. Uh, New York and and everywhere, but and some of them are just passing through anyway, so they stop here. But some of them just make a point to come to see this. Yeah, no, it's great. It's very, very, very interesting what you're doing, Russ. I I, I want to give the website again. It's greenhouseinthesnow.com. Russ Finch has been our guest. This has been fascinating. Uh, if you have any more questions, I think there's some videos right on the site itself. But uh, Russ uh, is a straight-up guy, and give uh, I think his contact information and his company's there. And it seems like, uh, as Greg said early on, it's it's almost unbelievable. Why isn't everybody doing this? And maybe they will be after they listen to this podcast. So we really appreciate your time, Russ. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And, and you know, and you know what I also love, Russ. You've retired how many times now? Well, several. <laughs> several. But, and, you, and you're still killing it. You're still relevant. You're still killing it. God bless uh, you. Uh, I love what you're doing. I, uh, I'm 89 now. so Only uh, 89? Well, so, uh, but we'll keep this going as long as we can. If I can't do it any longer, my, my partner, Alan Bright, that does all the fabrication and everything, he... He will take over the whole company on it. So. Well, not only do you have a cool product that you're building out there, you're an inspiration for a lot of people, my friend. As to never, never sitting around, never letting any grass grow under your feet. So again, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been an eye opener for me. I always love to learn about new things, and this has been a great one. Thank you again, Russ. Nice to meet you, Russ. God bless. Thanks. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com. 
where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.